Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast, the show that offers you tips and strategies to help speakers build the business of their dreams. Now, here's your host, 30-year industry veteran and business coach, Jane Atkinson. Hey, welcome everyone to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Atkinson. We're going to have some fun today talking about how to take action. Not necessarily in times of uncertainty, just every single day. And our special guest is an expert at that, Brian Fanzo. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Hey, you are like the action guy. So I'm really excited to talk to you about Press the Damn Button and your brand around that and the book that's coming up. But I want you to tell us, BC, before COVID, what did your business model look like? Tell us a little bit about your history. You've got some interesting lines in your biography, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, you know, as speakers, kind of the nice thing about it is we can all choose our own path to kind of get to this uh, world we're getting now where my, you know, my revenue is 95% based on speaking. But, you know, my, my background was in uh, actually computer science. I worked for the Department of Defense in cybersecurity for about nine years. So I, you know, traveled to 54 countries at the time, running different teams that were doing different training as well as collaboration initiatives across the U.S. military at every, you know, U.S. military base outside the U.S., I always say, like, I had one of the hardest collaboration jobs there was. I tried to get the Army to share cybersecurity policies with the Navy, right? Like, just trying oh, to get, like, wow. and, and this is, like, 2005 to, you know, 2014. Uh, you, know, you know, it was an interesting time because not only was cybersecurity an afterthought or something that was usually only cared about after something went wrong, mm-hmm. it was also a field that people uh, were looking to get into, right? So we had a, a remote team of about 34 uh, different individuals that trained, uh, we ran four classes a week, every week. And for me, part of that that was really interesting is that it was kind of like my foray into speaking was my boss had come into me as we were building the team and said, Brian, you're the only non-gray-haired guy on our team in cybersecurity. Um, Would you be willing to be kind of like the face for our initiatives? And of course I said, yes, even though it was kind of like a weird, (laughs) weird way of getting, you know, the tap on the shoulder. Uh, but they sent me to uh, public speaking courses, communication courses. You had to be uh, certified to present at the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the Pentagon. But for about four years, I spoke there uh, multiple times a quarter. That's why for me, no stage is really intimidating as I had you know, active duty generals in full uh, uniform in the front row. And I'm talking about cybersecurity or cloud computing, like very quote unquote boring you know, initiatives. And like my big focus at the end was all about cross-generational, not only communication, but collaboration as the, the military was trying to recruit millennials, Gen Z, but they were also trying to understand what does a brand look like in this world? How does that all work? And I, you know, I, I like to say I'm a, a pager-wearing millennial, uh, which just really means I was born in 1981, so I'm on the older side of uh, the millennial generation. I had a pager. I know what a pager was. I wasn't born with an iPhone in my hand. I actually didn't get my first smartphone uh, until college, you know, and so I usually kind of use that as my reference. And, you know, I worked for the government for that time and I had decided, you know, our contract was coming to an end and I was getting promoted and I really wanted to make a bigger impact on the world. And uh, I loved working with the military, but with the government, you spin your wheels and go nowhere and you're deploying older solutions more times than not. And so I ended up getting what I considered my uh, dream job, which was a technology evangelist. 
uh, kind of built after Guy Kawasaki and what he did at Apple. And it was at a data center company, not a very sexy company, in Phoenix, Arizona. And part of my role there was to be the face of the brand as far as speaking, interviews. And so that really got me, you know, kind of the other piece where we would sponsor events like AWS or VMworld or CES or South by Southwest. And we would get a speaking slot and I would be the one that would uh, more often than not uh, kind of take on that role. And so I was there for about two years and 10 days at the startup and we were hiring 12 new hires a week. It was a, it was like every typical startup that you've seen like on TV where ping pong tables, free low food lunches. It was an interesting world. And then they were purchased. They were uh, under acquisition and they pretty much came to me on one random day and said, we don't understand what an evangelist does. And you might have be the face of it now, but today is your last day. Wow. And it was kind of like my kick into entrepreneurship. And I've been doing that about five years now. And so at first I was doing kind of hybrid speaking as well as, uh, you know, some marketing stuff. But it was interesting because, you know, when I worked for the government, I was speaking on behalf of my client. When I was working for the startup, I was speaking as a brand sponsor of events. And then I went on my own and most people didn't know who I was. I didn't have material or footage because it was all you know, kind of part of my job. And so I almost had a restart from like ground zero in the sense of, you know, getting back on stages, speaking for free, kind of building kind of the landscape. And then in 2017, I kind of just decided to move all in on speaking. I did about 78 events that year, decided to bring on a speaker agent and kind of play in that space. And so for me, you know, interesting through all of this was social media and content creation, podcast, live video and regular uh, and social video have been my generation. Of, that, that's where I generate my business. So a uh, mass majority of my leads are, you know, weren't from a traditional bureau or from a, you know, your traditional um, speaking funnel. It was much more, Hey, Brian, we've been listening to your podcast for two years. We know you're a speaker. How can you make that happen? And so it's been a, you know, an interesting mix between the two. And I've done a lot in the live video piece, integrating that with different clients that I was either speaking or hosting or emceeing their events. And so, you know, I've done over 3,000, actually a little over 3,500 live streaming videos myself individually uh, since 2014. So that was a big role, you know, something that I always like to say, I wasn't a live video expert. I wasn't looking to be an expert, but live video was the medium that fit me the best. I talk fast. I'm kind of raw and real. I'm not afraid to admit when I'm wrong. And that kind of just snowballed and allowed me to really, you know, reach different audiences. And for a lot of people like, Hey, you came out of nowhere. How'd you, you know, and it was like, I might've came out of nowhere from your, the, the idea of you didn't know who I was, but I started speaking in, you know, 2004, you know, and like the largest stage I've ever been on was actually in 2009 as a brand sponsor. So, you know, for me, it's been an interesting journey. And then of course, you know, uh, coronavirus happening now is, is almost an uh, even more dynamic switch where it's, Hey, how do I get now tap into this, live video online space that I've been using for you were already you know, trained. You were yeah, ready to years. go. But at the same time, you know, as the onstage business picked up, everything that was virtual or live was really nice to have add on, you know, and so for me, it's an interesting you know, world, but you know, it's been a heck of a journey. And, you know, I, I like to say, you know, for me speaking, there's nothing else I want to do for the rest of my life. Like it is you know, what I feel like I was born to do and, you know, getting, finding my way here not only gives me a, a repertoire of uh, of different content to tap into and stories and things but you know it also you know i appreciate the you know opportunity to have an audience's you know captured attention 
you know, to live this kind of life. And so, you know, I, I'm willing to bob and we even pivot and, and kind of adjust as we go. And, and that's why I pressed the damn button for me has always just been, you know, if you look at my career each time, it wasn't really reinventing from scratch, but it was, okay, how do I, you know, how do I tilt this way and go all in this direction and see where it leads me? And, you know, it ultimately led me to doing what I do now, but it's, uh, it's, been, a, it's been a heck of a ride. Heck of a ride. There's so much to unpack in what you just said. And for those of you who are watching us on video on YouTube, I have never interviewed anyone with a smiling pile of poop emoji sitting on the top of that purple. <laughs> yep, it's a, it's, it's a, it's hilarious. A this grape is the poop emoji and it smells like grape. My daughter's got it for me. It and my favorite, like my favorite flavor is grape. So it's perfect. It works, works I, well. With it. I just want to say that I followed you a little bit through this whole coronavirus and I just love how you're featuring your kids and they're out doing the chalk on the sidewalk and oh, yes. it just warms my heart. Part of the, the biggest, hardest thing about all of this for us who are grandparents, we have five grandkids and not being able to hug them. I mean, the first time our youngest said, Gma, the other day I was like crying my eyes out because I can't go and give her a hug through the phone. But uh, anyway, technology has been very helpful for a lot of that. And I told you before we started that I'm a little bit tired of talking about coronavirus. I would like us to start shifting into BC before COVID and AC after COVID. And obviously we know that it's not going to be uh, life and business as usual. We're gonna be going back to business in ways that have precautions taken. And when it comes to your before COVID model, talk about what you think have been some of the best moves that you've made. You said that you mentioned that your podcast, uh, tell, tell us the name of your podcast and we'll put it in the show notes for everybody. Sure. It's FOMO fans. So it stands with the fear of missing out. I, I've paused it during the uh, Corona piece only because I feel like we have enough fear going on right now. And the idea of, you know, having a show around, I did one episode and it was, I've done 160 episodes, I believe. And it was the first one where I got off and I was kind of like, I didn't feel comfortable in that arena. So I paused it for, for that uh, time being. But yeah, that, that, the podcast has been a big, I've actually, it's my fifth podcast I've hosted in the last seven years. So I've, podcasting has been a, you know, a big piece for me as well. Okay. So you've gotten some good business from that. Talk about, have you ever gotten business directly from say a Facebook live or some social media event that you did? Talk about those a little bit, because I, I think that when it comes to taking action, those are some actions that we all can be taking right now. So I mean, I'll put it out there to start with, you know, for 2019, uh, 65% of my closed leads came through LinkedIn to the point where I have a, you know, a LinkedIn dedicated strategy from uploading video to engaging, sharing content. And, you know, for me, each platform in social media, you know, of course offers a different opportunity, but you can kind of think about them differently in the sense of, and I always set LinkedIn up this way is that, you know, I'm a big believer in you don't build a following on a social network. You build a community that will follow you wherever you go. Okay. And it's a, it's a different mindset in that, but it's also understanding where a call to action or where certain things fit, right? So Instagram stories, you know, is people giving access to me, kind of going behind the scenes a lot with my kids. And, you know, I always use this in a speaking sense of people like, Brian, I love what you're doing. I love your topics. I can't wait to see you speak. Let me know when you're coming to my city or town. 
And on LinkedIn, when I create a video and share and talk about what I'm doing, they're like, Brian, I love your topic, so important. How do I hire you to speak? And that little difference there for me has been a big piece of it. And so like my LinkedIn strategy is not really promoting or selling anything. It's more thought leadership driven and making sure that people understand like, hey, these are the things that I consider myself a thought leader in and providing unique perspectives on common things that most people are aware of, right? So, you know, everything I always, you know, laugh about things, but like, you know, it could be the new iPhone that comes out or it could be, you know, an update to a social media network or even, you know, artificial intelligence right now, of course, it's virtual events. And I try to, you know, provide a, a different perspective, a unique perspective, but also link it into the programs that I'm t- I, I speak on as part of my piece of it. And so that's been huge for me and without, I mean, without hesitation, um, you know, one of the things I did early on you know, I, I wear a hat on stage. I wear bright colored shoes. I'm uh, a little bit, you know, uh, you know, out there. It's part of my entire brand. It always has been. And I, you know, kind of understood that a lot of times that, t- you know, it takes an extra level of trust for someone to want to think there. You know, sometimes they'll be like, oh, I need to check that millennial box and you fit it. And I kind of, I, I, I hold that spot. Or they'll be like, we're not sure we can take that big of a risk with you or whatever it may be. And I know I have to kind of slowly bring them along. And so one of my tactics has actually been when I get some leads that are people aren't extremely familiar with me, uh, rather than sending back my speaker reel or even to my website, we actually send back with a podcast episode. And, and part of that reason is, is that if they can hear my passion, my, my, my thought leadership in audio form where they're painting their own picture, usually when the, when the conversation goes to the next point and, and they like what they heard or they understand they're, they're a lot more open to the possibility of, you know, what I'm wearing, my, my, you know, maybe even my presentation styles, uh, which I think has you know, been a fun way of doing it. And then the other piece of it has been probably one of the most successful things I've done is uh, I made it my goal to speak at events back to back years. So where I was kind of told early on was like, you know, Hey, you know, once you get hired, they may hire you three years from now, four years from now, and right. you need to recommend people. And, and, you know, I've, you know, the hosting side is, is a part of my business as well. So I do, host events as well as speak. But I always kind of looked at the two of them as like kind of complimentary where I'll speak one year and I'll host the next year, even to the point where a lot of, I started building clients where they would just put me on retainer year round and I would help them select speakers, help them design the content of their event and then host the event for them as well. And so that model for me, because that was the weirdest part for speaking for me was the nonstop business development was very intimidating. You know, I come off and have like the best presentation I've had, get off stage, everybody's happy. And I realized, oh, that client's not going to hire me again. And I have to, you know, get back to that grind. And so I've done things, you know, I, uh, you know, I include upsell elements where you can have me stay at your event for an extra day. I'll do a, you know, a Facebook live on their channel before the event happens. I'll do a, you know, follow-up webinar series where they can do that to hold the, their audience accountable. And all of those things for me gave me an opportunity to really, you know, demonstrate that I want to be a part of their community, not right. kind of like a one-off plug and play. And, you know, I like to say, like, I've done, a, I've been really growing my number of events a year, but my number of uh, clients hasn't grown drastically because a lot of clients are hiring me, you know, multiple times in a year or, you know, back to back. I mean, a couple of events, well, before coronavirus, um, I was going to do, there was four events. This is my fifth year in a row speaking at those events. And I take a lot of pride in that, right? It's my ability to adapt, their ability to trust me, but also that ability to kind of think a little bit different in, you know, in the speaking business model. You know, it sounds, Brian, like you have been thinking about 
packaging up solutions rather than that one-off plug and play right from the get-go. And I feel like everybody, when it comes to taking action, take a look at what you've got and really think about how you can package up a solution for people. And now it might be that there is an event out in the future somewhere but there's also some virtual things leading up to that. And it sounds like you you were already on that train well before it left the station. For sure. And for me, that was part of it was, you know, I think as speakers, one of the things that we, we you know, we love is the fact we have captured attention, but we also, you know, have a certain amount of time on stage. And I think for me, part of it was, can I establish trust? Can I, pre- you know, present a baseline of understanding of who I am to the audience before I get up there? And now I can spend more of my time on my talk, really homing on that value. And right. a lot of people are like, wow, Brian, like that was more action packed than I've ever been before. And they always looked at it as the talk as the, and I'm like, well, that was because I did, you know, two internal hands, all hands calls where they could ask me any questions. I got a good feeling for them. They got a good feeling for me. And it wasn't, I didn't have to go prove myself. I didn't have to go, you know, you know, add a lot of caveats. And, you know, I think that's, that's a big piece in this offering as well. And I think the other part of it too has been, and I still feel this way, when you believe and you own that what we do in virtual will not replace the offline space, mm-hmm. but you understand that it can complement, it can amplify, it but it also has new limitations. And in many cases, it removes some of the limitations that we're stuck with in the offline space. If you're willing to kind of separate those two, it feels a lot, you know, it, feel, it has like a different feel to it. So for you know, for me, as I was you know, kind of spinning off the idea of agency life, you know, I still had a lot of clients that were like, Brian, I want to hire you on a retainer or bring you in. And I would say, you know what, what we'll do is hire me for your next year event. And it's 11 months from now. Let's set up a retainer. Let's put up content. Let's create things over the next 11 months. And so I switched. And one of the biggest decisions I made was I made it that you couldn't hire me to consult or advise unless you hired me to speak. And that little switch, and, and of course, bringing on a speaker agent that was good at the negotiation and understood how to do that. But I was, you know, I went through, I think what a lot of speakers do is I love the stage, love speaking and would not only give away things and services and in negotiations, but also, you know, I didn't understand how to kind of package it in a way that allowed virtual to be complementary and mm-hmm. amplify, but not look at it as one or the other. And I, and I think where we're at right now, you know, I'm, I couldn't be more excited. I've never been busier than I am at the moment. While at the same time, you know, I lost my, my next 18 speaking gigs, you know, either postponed or canceled. My, my five retainer clients had all, you know, canceled their contracts with me based on, hey, we don't know when our event's coming back. And so, mm-hmm. although I've looked at those two, like I, I firmly look at it as, you know, two years from now, I'm going to have a strongest secondary piece of uh, income stream than I've ever had before. And for the next 18 months or so, it's going to be my primary um, you know, uh, element of, uh, of income. But while at the same time, one of my, my, my focus has been since um, March has been, you know, fee integrity and making sure that not only what I'm presenting online uh, matches my brand, but it doesn't, you know, jeopardize the trust that I've built with my clients. It also, you know, if I'm going to charge a high fee, I have to understand what are the things that I value I can provide that maybe no one else is providing or that, they would look at in that same kind of realm. And so it's, it's been great that I was in the game before in that virtual kind of packaging, selling different solutions. Uh, and it's been interesting now because I think honestly, it's more of an, an education play on, 
you know, bureaus, events, and the audience on these are the way that we can make virtual, you know, to put it in a better way, not suck like a traditional webinar has in the past, right? And I think, you know, that's, that's a big component. And when I look at all of the things that I've provided for clients for the last five years, never once did they look at it as, you know, a webinar, Band-Aid, free solution. And I want to be able to take that and teach people that same concept because, you know, all of a sudden now it's like, wait, you know, if they go down that webinar road, there's a, there's a, you know, impression, there's an expectation of what they expect. There's as speakers, we kind of have our own version of what that looks like. And that was new to me because of my old model. So I think bringing that model and kind of hopefully, you know, kind of switching it over uh, is going to be the, the piece for me that's you know most rewarding. And I, I mean, I, I've had, I've had more leads over the last three weeks than I probably have in 18 months. Now, I'm so glad that you're holding strong in your package fees and things like that. I think that the, the worst thing that the entire industry can do is base any of their decisions on fear and fear that, oh no, what if this is the last speaking engagements I'm ever going to book? That's not the case. I mean, we are going to see things start to come back. And so when it comes to this level of busyness that you have right now, what would you say is driving that? What are some things that you have done? Is it a LinkedIn video? Is it something live that you've done on social media? What are some things that you've done specifically that you've seen, okay, well, that took off and went a little bit viral on me or whatever it might be, or I can see who's viewing this and it's all my target market, yay. What kind of things have you done that have really specifically brought you in good leads? You know, I'd say the first one is just being transparent and honest, right? I, you know, uh, as I was kind of looking at what I had out there, you know, everything that I was doing, I was kind of sharing it in a narrative form, you know, everything from, you know, tweets to regular Facebook posts, you know, giving people a little bit behind the scenes, but also kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm trying this out. I'm looking at new ways to do different things. You know, I started um, testing uh, when I when I was thinking about this virtual offering, I thought, okay, how can I incorporate high high quality production, leveraging virtual type experiences in ways that are innovative? And my first thought as a tech computer science was like, I need to understand all of the technology. So I I signed up for more demos and uh, and I ended up going uh, 68 product demos uh, on different companies that were uh, you know branding themselves as a virtual event platform. So everything from webinar to live streaming to uh, like a virtual fair to, you know, I, I went through all of these pieces and I started just sharing my take like, Oh, Hey, there's some confusion here. Hey, I am learning here. And I can tell you the, the initial reason I was doing the demos was selfish. I wanted to know the technology that existed and then how right. I could use my tech skills to leverage it. But I can tell you as I started sharing my thoughts and then talking to people about the fact that I was doing all of this work, the amount of people that were the leads were coming in that were like, Hey, Brian, I, I haven't, I didn't even realize you were speaking full time, but we're trying to go virtual for our sales kickoffs. And, you know, and we're in a real estate and I've been following you on you know Facebook. But can I tap into you? I have no idea what you know platforms are. What, what's the difference. And so like, that was a big piece of it. They wanted you know, to learn along with you. Exactly. Right. And, and you, I think part of it too, is, a lot of the heavy lifting for them, which is also a nice thing that you can say, okay, what I've distilled all of this crazy information. Cause sometimes when we start talking tech, my eyes start to roll back in my head, like right. I'm over. And so if somebody can distill that down for you, 
then that allows you to make a decision and take action. And I think not making decisions and not taking action is one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle that we have to solve right now, uh, not just for ourselves, but for our clients out there. For people who are, and, and is the more companies and associations get stuck in fear and inaction, the longer all of this will go on. And so you can see this domino effect that can happen. And you're out there showing people how to do it. Right. I think you know, part of it too, you know, I always say with, you know, press the damn button. I, I have like two rules with press the damn button. And the first one is that you have to believe that perfection's a fairy tale. And, you know, the fact that not only are we not perfect, but people don't expect us to be perfect. And so as, you know, coronavirus was, you know, kind of taking over, you know, I was transparently sharing the lows and the highs, you know, it wasn't, I was trying to avoid it from being complaining and, and being like, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is how I feel. You know, one of my most popular tweets of the last two months has been, you know, it's okay to be okay with not feeling okay. And I'm yeah. okay with that. Right. And it was just kind of me putting it out there and they're seeing me handling leads and doing all the things I'm doing while at the same time realizing that you know, can't go outside. I had to self-quarantine away from my daughters for 14 days because oh. the, the last event I spoke at ended up having an outbreak. And so oh, uh, no. you know, like that, that balance is, you know, and I, and I live by myself. And so like part of it was, you know, like being transparent, letting people have access, but also being, you know, like that idea of like, I don't need to be perfect. And I, you know, I think this is one of the things as speakers, we will often become overwhelmed or we'll, be unsure where to start. And the thing about it is if we are unsure, many other people are unsure. Yes. And if we're willing to be the ones that start and kind of let people learn along with us, not only does it help us push each other, but I can tell you for me, I, you know, I, although I've done 68 demos, the 15 other phone calls I've had with others that have done 10 or 15 demos themselves have added so much more value to me than even my 68 demos. And it was part of it was because they're trying it out too. And like, what questions did you ask? I mean, I had a call for three hours with you know two other speakers uh, just last week, and all we did was talk about the questions that we were asking the platforms, so that we knew what our limitations were or our possibilities were. And that's part of that is putting it out there. And then the second piece of my two you know, requirements: perfection's a fairy tale, is number one. Yeah. And the second one is control is an illusion. And I think that's one thing that we think about too is that you know how do I control? You know, we can only control ourselves. We can only control our ability to put things out there. And for me, I think, especially right now, like there, there's, a, there's a hesitation of, you know, the unknown is scary. And for the first time, the unknown is universal, right? There's lots of us that have lived in unknown situations, you know, on, on different pieces in our career. But having this universal unknown makes a, a little bit different view on things. And so without knowing where we're going, there is an ability like, well, I just want to control these variables or what can I control? And I'm kind of a big believer in, you know, understanding what you yourself like want to be represented, but you also have to put yourself out there for other people to know what's going on, right? I think, you know, my dad raised me on, uh, you know, growing up was always, you know, trust is important, you know, firm handshake, build relationships, don't burn bridges, and let your work do the talking for you. Mm. And I would say all of them have value except for the last one today, right? Mm. Like if you're letting your work do the talking for you, you're drowned out by everyone else, right? If you're not, you know, one, of, one of my videos on Twitter is now, I think it's 16,000 views and it's easily generated eight leads for me was just a time lapse of me setting up my home office. And I, I put the time video yeah. in the corner and, you know, and funny enough, it wasn't that, and like my office was, you know, I had to move things around and I'm like throwing things out into my daughter's, you know, my daughter's bedroom across the hall. And it was far from perfect. 
And it was kind of like letting people know like, hey, this is what I'm going to try. And I think that, you know, that ability to be like, hey, I'm not trying to fail, but I'm, I'm realizing I'm not perfect. And, you know, the other piece of this was, you know, when I look at it from speaking, like, I love, I love what we get to do, right? And, and I, I take so much pride in that. And when I looked at like the bigger picture, I think although the, the, the future has that unknown component, I've really framed my reference and this is probably the most important thing I've done the last two months is that we have the ability to shape what the new normal is. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we're ta- a lot of people talk about, Hey, what, what happens when we go back to normal? Well, that normal was what the world was that kind of evolved around us. And now not only in speaking, but in our lives, we get to decide what are our priorities? How do we spend our time, our money? And so I'm a firm believer that two years from now, the offline events will be stronger and more valuable than they've ever been ever before. They might look a little different. They might have different time slots. We might have shorter presentations. Maybe you know the traditional five-day event is a three-day event because we have virtual components around the year. But I am, I am bullish on stages coming back, that value being increased. And I think between now and then, for us as speakers, you know, I've been preaching virtual. I mean, like, I mean, my big takeaway in my keynotes is that I believe there's a synergy between technology and innovation and humanity. And when you find that synergy, that's where we have empathy. That's where we're able to be where we are really great as humans. And I've been preaching and I spend so much of my time trying to get people just to see the light of a Zoom video call or putting your story on social media or just, you know, trying video. Like you're going to be horrible at video the first hundred times, the first a thousand times, right? Like video is like the weirdest dynamic that once you start realizing it's that easy, then you start practicing different things and you can set yourself up for success. And so for me, when I look at this whole big picture, it's for me, pressing the damn button is there's nobody better to tell your story than yourself. And when you start putting yourself out there and telling your story and just owning the fact you're not perfect, not only do the opportunities become endless, but you start to be able to grow with you know, everyone else. And so like I mean, all of my content that I've created over the last two months, which is like north of 20, 25 videos is all free, ungated on my blog with no, you know, my goal was like, I'm going to put out there what I'm learning. I'm going to put out there what I, what I know. And I believe the more that we as speakers, you know, respect and, and value ourselves um, can help educate those that are hiring us on the things that we can, you know, deliver, the more opportunities that are going to exist. And that's been kind of my goal. And I can honestly say that the, the amount of people that reach out over and over again, that are speakers that I look up to for you know, more years than I could count that are like, Hey, thank you for doing that. And for me, it's so funny because all I'm simply doing is pressing the damn button, right? It's, it's walking the, the walk of what I've kind of been preaching. And, and I do look at where we're at right now as although the short term is unknown of when this ends, I'm bullish on us, you know, um, you know, transforming the future and being able to create it together. I love the idea of us being in charge of what this industry looks like in the future. And I think that it's so empowering to think about that, to imagine that. The other thing that is really empowering is to make a decision to do something. You've been thinking about. Now, by the time this episode airs, I think we're going to be probably more back to work than we are today. We're recording this on about April the 20th, 2020. And um, 
I think that people are probably off the mark. They've probably taken some action, but maybe some have not had the results. Maybe their perfectionism has gotten in the way. Uh, maybe they got, you know, a bad review and that, that caused them to withdraw, whatever it might be. Don't you think that failure is a part of taking action and then recalibrating and going out and taking some more action? Without question. And I think, you know, interestingly enough, the number one excuse is going to be technology. Mm -hmm. I don't have the right gear, the right lighting. And I've always been a big believer in those are crutches and you're using them to prevent yourself from taking action. And when you remove those, like I I can honestly tell you, I ended up um, putting this out there because like the piece of technology, although I have more gear, I, I ran a three video setup here for a long while. I was getting boxes of gear sent to my house for the last couple of years because that's just my background. The setup I'm using is a, you know, a ring light, a Logitech web camera, and a, a Yeti microphone plugged in USB, right? Like three basic pieces. And I, I produce 90% of my content with those three yeah. you know, characters. And I think when we look at it, and especially where Press the Damn Button came from, was people would come to my event and said, Brian, you inspired me to tell your story. And then I realized I was going to do it, but I hadn't got my hair done. So then I waited to get my hair done. And then when I got my hair done, I realized that we were, we were at the end of the quarter. So I was going to wait to the next quarter. And all of a sudden they would come back to my event and they're like, Brian, look at all my notes. You inspired me. You motivated me. And I'm excited for your talk. And and I I just got, it was like a pure frustration. It was like, please just press the damn button. And I can, I can honestly say like when people look at my, the content I create, like I never consider myself a creator. I'm a computer science major that my mom likes to say I came out of the womb talking and I talk fast, right? Like that's just (laughs) kind of, that's kind of me. And it wasn't until live video. Like I was in Barcelona the last uh, two days of February in 2014, and someone messaged me and said, live video's coming. Um, have you ever heard of this app called Meerkat, which was came out on as far as Twitter? And I tried it out twice in Barcelona, and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. I arrived at South by Southwest three days later, and I had 12,000 people watching me from my phone in my Uber giving a preview of my day. And all of a sudden, I was like, wait a second. Like, this, you know, YouTube intimidated me. It was like, it was hashtags and thumbnails and SEO and like, you know, long-term plays. Like two of my best friends are in the, you know, almost a million subscribers, but they've been uploading every Sunday for 10 years. And I always, always like, oh, it's so intimidating. And ultimately for me, live streaming was the, the, the catalyst. And so I, I want to, I share that because I think this is the other place that we prevent ourselves is that when we're trying to do something new, it could be video, it could be virtual, it could be social media. We too often are told, Start where your audience is. And mm. I'm going to say the other way. Okay. Start where you're most comfortable. Because yeah. it's, it's one of the biggest mistakes we make, right? Because like, everyone was like, Brian, you're a video guy. You need to be on YouTube. I was, hey, I was born for video, but YouTube was my roadblock. And I mean, three years of friends. I mean, I had people creating the, the YouTube channels for me and me still not executing on it, right? And, then, and it wasn't until I was like, wait a second, like the live one, it, it removed the, desi- the need to be perfect, the need to all these other pieces and allowed me to, to, to start trying things out. And so that's where I tell people like, hey, if you want to get up better on video, FaceTime from your phone five times a week, right? Like start on FaceTime, just hold the phone, get used to looking at yourself on camera. It's weird. You're going to realize you hold it too low. You look up your nose. <laughs> You're going to realize that you don't, you know, like the lighting and all of those things. And then when you get used to it, like, I mean, a lot of the clients I work with, it's like, okay, Go from FaceTime to a private Facebook video that you share with 10 of your friends, right? And then you know, slowly getting used to it. If video intimidates you, 
start you know becoming more active on Twitter or maybe it's you know um, a photo carousel on Instagram where you can show maybe some of the quotes or things that you're doing and I think not only failure not only technology but it's this this weird like feeling that we have to force ourselves to be where our audience is and and the whole piece with press the damn button is it doesn't mean you don't need a strategy it doesn't mean you just randomly throw things out there at you know willy but what it does mean is you have to start and then once you start you'll get the hang of things that you're going to like and then you can start being strategic with how you do it when you do it why you're doing it the platforms you're doing it right i launched a new youtube channel february 1st of this year and i had another youtube channel that had lots of subscribers and everyone's like Brian, why are you launching this like brand new channel? You have to start over from scratch. And part of it was like, hey, I have a comfort level and a desire to tell certain videos and certain stories a certain way. And although that other channel has been five years making, it wasn't that methodology. And, and I can see that success already kind of happening for me on that channel, but it was because I've been pressing the button. And like I said, I've done 3,500, uh, over 3,500 live streams. A lot of them are bad. A lot of them are too long. A lot of them, you know, bad audio, bad lighting, you know, whatever they may be. But each one of them got me more comfortable in different areas. And I can honestly say, I mean, I've, I've done live streaming. I helped launch IBM, Dell, Samsung, and the Super Bowl, their very first Facebook Live. Like, it was me building the strategy as well as on camera. And the number one thing I heard every time from each one of those brands after we executed was, it really is that easy, isn't it, Brian? Mm. Like it is. It is. We, we can add the variables, the technology, the excuses, but when you start to press that button, it's, it's so empowering. And, I, and I'm a big believer, especially as speakers. I think part of the problem in our world today is that I've always said we have fake news and bad news. Right now we have fake news, bad news, and Corona news. <laughs> you put it out there in that realm. Which and breaking may that mash noise, up. They, they, they may converge all three yeah, Which is even a, a, a bigger nightmare, right? Yeah, yeah. But you're like, if we look at that piece, like I truly do believe there are good people in the world doing good things. The reason that bad news and fake news is all of our attention is because that's what's being put out there. The people that are doing, you know, we're willing to, you know, video someone randomly doing something bad, but yet someone doing something good, we're a lot less likely to share that or put it out there. And so that's why for me, I put the onus on us as speakers, right? It's, we, have, we know good stories. We have good stories to tell ourselves. It's our job to put them out there. If we want to, we want to shift that narrative. It's not, trying to break down the fake news and bad news because that's like a, a lost loss scenario. It's like, let's put ourselves out there. Let's tell those good stories. Let's, let, let's connect those dots. And the more you do it, the more you get comfortable. And I, and I truly do believe the more the, the world gets looked at through a different lens as we start being able to put ourselves out there. But it starts by doing it. And lots of people take notes. We listen to podcasts all the time. We attend events, listen to speakers, tell us what to do. There's very few that execute on what we're told. And, and I think, especially in this virtual space, if you're not willing to at least try and learn, and I can, t I mean, I've had over 40 phone calls in the last three weeks with individual speakers that, that are part of like mastermind and groups that I'm part of asking for help on technology and things that are going. And it was so funny because most of what they wanted help on was this grandioso idea. And then when I broke it back down, I was like, let's make it so you can do what you do best and remove that roadblock. And every call ends the same way where it's like, oh my God, I'm so excited for this. Rather than when they got on it and they're like, Brian, I'm not a tech person. Yeah. I, I roll my eye. Like, I'm I, overwhelmed. Yes, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. Yeah. I, should I do live? Should I not do live? Like yeah. they, they told me it's a webinar, but I'm telling, I'm trying to sell them a keynote. Like all these things we like put around it. Yeah. And if we just, you know, execute and, you know, and I think that was one of the lessons for me. The more I researched the tools, the more I got feedback, like no one's ever asked that question before. 
or Brian, it's interesting that you're poising that. And so like, I took that to be like, not only is the industry adapting, you know, yeah. and, you know, and, but there's also something to be said, like virtual has not made an impact in the speaking world for the last 10 years for a reason, right? It wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't enough attention, money being right. paid, sponsors, yeah. value. Well, now there's there, right? So like, I don't, I don't believe it's, Hey, this isn't, you know, cost effective. I actually just think now it's our job to deliver something that is virtually first enabled and it's not going to cannibalize our offline business. And, you know, it's, and, and trust me, I'm learning as we go. I'm, I'm doing things with Prezi video. I'm doing things with overlays. I've tested out uh, last night. I, my, I dropped my daughters off at their mom's and I spent a couple hours with two magicians uh, with their setup and saying, Hey, let's try different things. And how does this look like for a user? And like, okay, let's try this lighting and let's try this yeah. camera. And like just the idea of that magician being like, Hey, I have my entire basement. I don't know what to do and having some fun with it. And I think that's that whole press the damn button mantra. All right. So for those who uh, are listening to our podcast here today, the bottom line message is get off the mark and yes. press the damn button. Now I would love for you to send us over, Brian, any links that you think would be helpful in terms of the technology, anything that kind of synthesizes everything that you've researched down, would love to share those in the show notes of our podcast page. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today and taking time out of your busy schedule because uh, I know you've got a lot going on right now. Thank you, Brian, for being here with us. Thank you for having hey, me. Hey, if people want to get in touch, where should they go? So, you know, I'm active on every social network because that's kind of how I do it to put it out there. I don't recommend that for everybody, but yeah. I always say pick your favorite social network and I'm the same username on every channel. It's iSocialFans. So it's iSocial, S-O-C-I-A-L-F-A-N-Z or Z at the end, every single network. So pick your favorite one, you know, give me a follow there. And then my new speaker site that I launched earlier this year is brianfanzo.com. So that's where all the virtual event content is up there. Uh, underneath my blog. I'm posting right now three blog posts a week of just different things that I'm learning, things that are you know kind of going on as we kind of move forward. And the newest thing which will be out by the time this comes out is I have a LinkedIn live show that I'm launching called The Future Of. And so it's going to be a weekly show on LinkedIn. I've actually teamed up with LinkedIn and a couple other partners to really just kind of, you know, hopefully talk about topics where we can help shape the future. So um, it'll be in podcast form, of course, as well. Um, but yeah, everywhere, you know, I, I love connecting, engaging. So if you connect with me on one of those channels and uh, I can answer any questions, I'd be happy to do so. Beautiful. Thank you, Brian Fanzo, for being with us. And thank you, Wealthy Speaker listeners. We love to hear back from you that you're getting some good stuff out of our podcast. Let us know. Give us a holler and make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss any future podcasts. And for now, we're going to say... See you soon, Wealthy Speakers. Bye for now, everyone. Would you like a chance to win a free virtual coaching session with Jane Atkinson? Go to speakerlauncher.com slash win and follow the instructions there to be entered into the contest. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast.